Welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. I'm so glad you're here. If you are new around here, welcome. And I hope that you will make yourself uh, comfortable and at home. Maybe take some time and explore some of the other episodes of uh, the parable that I read aloud. I started reading aloud this uh, newest creative work nine episodes ago. But if you have been listening, I welcome you again as well. I'm so glad that you take the time to be a part of these really important conversations. So be sure to share the podcast with others. Maybe while you're listening, just ask God who would benefit from hearing this conversation, hearing the parable. Um, And I also ask that you would share it on your social media. Each time something like this is shared, you're helping us spread the word of the gospel. Um, If you are not aware, I do have two books that are previously published. Uh, One is called A Friend in Me, How to Be a Safe Haven for Other Women, and that's on Amazon. And then uh, the first book I wrote is called Soul Strength, Spiritual Courage for the Battles of Life, and that is also sold on Amazon. Well, today, uh, before you get to, I introduce you to my guest, I want you to know that as we're entering into further into the parable, my main character and his wife sit with what I call a wise person. And for you, maybe that wise person is a counselor or a pastor or it's um, someone in your family. But wherever you are right now, um, and if you are at all struggling with mental health issues, I'm inviting you in to hear how my main character and his wife sit with this person as they listen to one another and as the wise person asks really good questions about what's going Going on at the deeper level. And so I invited today um, on the show Shannon Farouz. She is a licensed uh, therapist and she is going to talk with us about what's the role of the Holy Spirit when we battle mental health issues. I really um, encourage you to um, sit in for the whole conversation and I'm praying already for my listeners in this conversation. You can also find more resources at PamelaLau.com. You can sign up for monthly emails. Uh, there's That's way you can contact me. I'd love to hear from you. But for now, let's begin. Welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. Chapter 16. Things at home were crazy for David and Amy the next few days, more than David even expected. We have accrued a lot of debt, David was explaining to Ben. But if Amy and I don't find a way forward, we could be in more danger than debt and deceit. Diane Edison had agreed to meet with Amy and David together later in the week, giving them some time to reveal to themselves what's been in their hearts for far too many months and even years. The day before was a meeting with financial counselors and a new attorney who explained to the couple that things could have been much worse had David not found that credit card statement when he did. One of the financial counselors disclosed how Amy hid the charges for so long by continually switching the balance to new credit cards. Unfortunately, one of the credit card companies followed her trail and was days away from calling her bluff. Had this masquerade continued into the next month, David and Amy would be filing for bankruptcy and losing their home. Thankfully, this was not going to happen now. Their relief was short-lived because their anxiety shifted to the future of their relationship and their family. David decided he needed to talk to Ben more openly about his sessions with Diane Edison, knowing that 
his friend could offer even greater clarity about the struggles he faced with feelings of failure, turning to God, and even more pressing right now, what it meant to distinguish between these voices. By the 12th lap around the track, David and Ben walked over to the weight machines, telling the sweat from their faces. I don't remember anything you said to me the other day on the phone, Ben, when you called me and I, I had just found the credit card statement, but I remember a phrase that stayed with me. What was it? And by the way, I, I'm just so sorry for how this is messing with you. I asked what was wrong with me that this happened. And you said, buddy, maybe this isn't just about you. Ben carefully lifted the barbell onto the stand and waited for David to continue. You're going to say that I'm crazy, but I believe God is speaking to me on the inside. David took Ben's place, relieved to have something else to focus on for a moment. Ben looked at David. So what's he saying to you? Is it about Amy? David winced when he heard Amy's name as the pain was still raw. A wave of anger fueled by hatred made him feel so humiliated he almost lost his breath. With all his strength, he pushed the barbell up one last time before it fell into the cradle with a crash. What I hear is that I've only been looking at the surface of things and that he will never leave me. There, I said it. What does that make you think? Ben thought about it and chose his words carefully. I'm not entirely sure, but I have to say, the way you described the other voices calling you out as a failure and a shameful man for your lack of success, I know that was not a voice of God, but a voice of someone or something who relentlessly taunts you day and night. Maybe it's just your own voice. Maybe it's a demonic voice. But what evidence do you have it's God speaking? Ben asked with such neutrality that David knew he wasn't trying to lead him in any direction which made him feel he could keep opening up. During my last meeting with Diane, she asked me if I had felt unforgiveness toward Amy, even before I knew about the hidden charges. And what did you say? I told her, looking back, I, I realized I was becoming more and more guarded. Unforgiving, maybe. She kept choosing to be emotionally absent, to not be there for me, as she was in our early years. The more I spoke honestly from my heart, I realized how deeply offended I was at how she treated me. Sounds like a counseling session to me, Ben said a bit too sarcastically. That's the thing, David said humbly. I knew that I'd been carrying a grievous load deep inside and that my thoughts were being hijacked by something or someone I couldn't see. I wasn't making these things up. Amy was acting like I didn't matter anymore. But the moment Diane confirmed that it was God who was searching my heart to see what I was made of, a light flashed through my mind. You mean you suddenly felt close to God? David let out a breath and for the first time a smile came to his eyes. Maybe, but for the first time I felt like Amy wasn't the enemy and that's when I was confident that someone good was pursuing me. I guess what I'm saying is just because I felt the war, the intensity of struggle with some pretty dark thoughts and feelings didn't mean I'd lost my faith or that God abandoned me. But the voices that shouted failure and shame put you and Amy further apart? Exactly. When I heard in my spirit, I will never leave you for the first time a few days ago, I turned toward God and whispered, thank you. The very next day when Diane asked if I had anything against Amy, I said unforgiveness. 
I physically felt someone take a burden off my shoulders. It was like chains were cut off from my wrists and my whole body. How do you explain that? Just like that, you turned, you said yes, and decided. Wait, you make it sound so simple. Ben sat down on the bench and held up one finger. First, you turned toward God, but second, you went a step further and gave God the go-ahead to win, to work in your life, and then you made a radical decision to become confident about the voice you listen to and the ones you silence. David thought quietly for a minute and realized how far he'd come in such a short time. On the inside, he felt alive like never before. But this left him with two questions and two things he knew he had to do. Chapter 17, Voice of Destruction. Well, now you look at how smoothly that worked. Speaking through his wife, Amy, really pushed my agenda with David. She looked so good on the outside to him with her shiny things and an air of confidence that however she saw David worked my scheme to rip those two apart. But my favorite is that for one decade, 10 years, I succeeded in making him believe he lost his faith. Voice of Love My precious David is testing those voices and discerning the spirits from which they came just as my son prayed he would. Through these testings, he's developed more confidence in his choices. Your tempting of his feelings to such hatred is a ploy you've manipulated for centuries. My presence is stronger when faith is being tested and choices are being made. Voice of Destruction His choices? Are you referring to David following a set of rules, doing what's right? Voice of Love David belongs to me. And the choices he is making now reflect my working in his inner life. Voice of Destruction I'm the prince of the air greater than any other force out there. Voice of Love David has already conquered the lies and falsehood you spread because I am in him. And I am the one who is greater than you. Voice of Destruction I will never give up. Voice of Love when you, you will stagger and fall when my power comes upon you. I will bring you to your knees. Chapter 18 Toward the end of the afternoon, when Amy and David were to meet with Diane, David suddenly felt uneasy about their gathering. He lifted a prayer as best he knew how. God, is this a good idea for Diane to meet Amy? All he heard was silence. Still regaining the practice of listening, he somehow knew the silence stood in such dramatic contrast to his normal anxiety and tears that it pried his fingers from the terrible burning he was accustomed to. The first few minutes of introductions and small talk felt awkward for David and Amy. Diane resumed her usual calm demeanor and smiled warmly as she took Amy's hand in her own. It's so very nice to meet you, Amy. How are you doing today? She asked and tilted her head slightly to the right. Amy seemed reluctant. Earlier in the week, she had agreed that meeting with Diane sounded like a good next step. But from David's perspective, she suddenly looked like a deer caught in the headlights. Fighting down resentment, David wondered how she could be so self-focused when he was the one who was betrayed. Diane sat across from Amy, who was seated on the sofa. David sat in a chair to Amy's right. Amy, 
you've had an unsettling week. Can you talk about it? I'd say it's not just an unsettling week, but an unsettling few years. Never did I imagine I'd be facing such financial trouble. I didn't ask for this. The look on Amy's face was dark, almost bitter. David felt embarrassingly aware of Amy's attitude. How had he missed this before? I'm sure, Amy, it's going to take quite a while to unravel this tragedy and pull things together, but it sounds like you've both been saved from further disaster. Something to be thankful for, don't you agree? Thankful? That's not the word that comes to mind, Amy said in a matter-of-fact tone. Diane nodded knowingly as she responded to the restless, struggling woman in front of her. I've shared with David how I, too, have suffered through failure. But one day I just finally knew what I had to do, not just to survive, but to thrive. Little by little, I turned to God and I slowly began thanking him for his mercies. Shaking a bit on the sofa, Amy's eyes took on an insulting look. It seems that's what works for you, but I'm going to fight this differently. David was unsure what Amy meant, but something inside prompted him to speak into the tension. Amy, what you did by deceiving me and hiding the lawsuit from me for more than 18 months is in many ways a betrayal of our marriage. You turned against me and relied on deception. What are you saying you will fight this differently on your own? Amy felt exposed and in some strange way dirty, as if she were covered with shabby clothes. When her eyes met David, she voiced her greatest fear. So, are you going to leave me? The moment Amy's question filled the air, David felt a familiar punch to the gut and suddenly he felt sick to his stomach. He heard the question in his head again, are you going to leave me? How can you accuse me of abandoning you? Are you calling me a liar? Right there, David knew the truth. All these years, he'd asked himself the same question, and it was then that he realized the question came from somewhere else. The enemy of his soul posed that question to him every day of his life since he first saw himself as a failure. It was Diane's voice who shattered his painful memories. David, I can see you're being tempted being tempted to detach from your most authentic self here. What do you really want to say right now? She's right. I wanted to at times. I'm so messed up. David broke down as the darkness stepped back from the light and he longed for his search to come to an end. Diane sensed it was the right time to ask David and Amy if they were ready. Should we pray? Well, good morning and welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. Today I have with me Shannon Farouge. Now, I have to say, it's very hard for me not to say Shannon White, but <laughs> that's how I first met Shannon. But Shannon, please say hello and uh, welcome to my show. Thank you, Pam. It's so fun to be with you and um, just to be a part of your podcast. So thanks for having me. Oh, of course. I'm, it, you know, it's just so great to even just sit here and have a conversation with you. It's a Saturday morning. It's as if we're having coffee. So, um, but Shannon uh, is going to tell us a little bit about her background as a professional first, and then we're going to jump into having a conversation uh, with her um, about her faith journey 
and what she sees um, in her profession as a mental health counselor. But I just want to say, Shannon, first and foremost, that um, I always consider you uh, this great younger friend in my life who I met. Gosh, what year was it that we met? Oh, I don't even know. I just like 2013, maybe. Yeah, it was probably right around that time. Um, <laughs> How old could you have been? <laughs> yeah, that was not, honestly probably around the time. Yeah, 2013. Oh my goodness. I just remember uh, the Red Hills Market and that sandwich you bought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Shannon and I have uh, worked together. She um, and her husband helped produce the videos for a friend and me. But uh, we also did some webinars together. Yes. Yeah. So we have we have an extensive background. But today is very special. We are going to uh, talk about faith and mental health. But Shannon, why don't you give us a little background first of your profession, what you do? Sure. Yeah. So I graduated from um, Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. It was a beautiful time in my life. I just felt like the professors I got to sit under were um, they cared about us as becoming clinicians, of course, but they wanted us to be healthy individuals. And I really mm. felt that. And so when I was there, I'm like, okay, Lord, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with this degree, but I just feel like a better person um, mm. because of being a part of um, being mentored and being cared about um, on such a deep level. So it was a sweet time. Um, and then from there, I worked at, uh, it was called Western Psychological and Counseling Services. And I just kept seeing um, a lot of people on the Oregon Health Plan. And I got to be with a variety of people. And I just noticed that a lot of the women coming through the, the, the room, they weren't um, coming out and saying, oh, I've been abused right from the first session. But a lot of the symptoms that they had, um, they'd have like a lot of depression or shame or anxiety or just deep struggles and then I would find in time with doing their timeline or as we built trust that part of their story would often involve some form of abuse okay and then from there I wanted to be under the mentorship of somebody that was a trauma-based counselor that's kind of the wow. key word these days is um people I think counselors, professionals are learning that trauma really does impact us. Trauma that happens in the childhood or even just as an adult, it just can rear its head later in life. And so I was able to be a part of Living Wholehearted and Tualatin. That was a beautiful time as well under the direction of Tara Matson. Um, and then from there, started having all these baby boys in my own personal life and just needed to be a little bit more available for them. But I still see um, a handful of clients in, in Portland. And so I work with a little bit of everyone. I see women um, with identity issues, trauma issues. I see couples and I see kiddos. And it, it's been a it's been a great career. It's been a blessing to get to walk with. with and you. what a needed one in such a time as this, right? Yes. Can you tell us, tell us, take us back just a little bit, Shannon. And why don't you, did you have a traditional faith upbringing? How did you come to saving knowledge of, of the Lord Jesus? Yeah. What was that like for you? Yeah, so I grew up a Catholic and I'm very grateful for my Catholic upbringing. Um, I am grateful that it exposed me to that this idea of there is 
God. Mm. <laughs> so I wasn't sure exactly who that God was, like but that. I was there is a God. <laughs> introduced to there is God. And then, um, and then kind of later on, um, my family system allowed for us to kind of explore a other churches as well. So there was a time where I think the Lord just knew that we needed, uh, we were introduced to God, but I think we needed it broken down in very simple terms for, okay, what does that mean now for us? And we needed very practical tools. And so at that time, um, we were going to a Baptist church, which was, it was kind of went from peace be with you to peace be with you and what's your name and do you know about Wednesday night Bible study and the potluck and you know can we come to your house so it was a uh, very it felt invasive honestly and I felt kind of like weirded out like why do these people want to know me and I was very suspicious, but I really, it was there that I, I would say I learned. Um, so I learned that there was God. And then at the Baptist church, I learned um, more about God's people and how they can love. And it was just a sweet time. It was a very small church. And my friends were of all sorts of different backgrounds. Some of them had mental illness. Some of them had disabilities. Some of them um, just came from really different backgrounds, but we, we really got to experience this feeling of love and unity. And we were so different, but that common call of Christ, um, was just so present. And I'm so grateful. I was so bored during those times. I was, sometimes I was the only youth person. I'm like, come on, where's the other young people. But I really see how God used that time for me to just get to know his word. And how um, old were you at this time? I was around 12. Oh, okay. And I got to learn a lot of the old hymns that I sing to my kids today. And I'm so grateful. There's so much language in there that um, has just given me strength. And it's it's stuck in there from those fifth Sunday scenes. Yeah. You know, you can't get it out, which is a good thing. I don't want it out. And then kind of from there, um, again, just kind of with our family, what we were needing at the time was just different resources. And I ended up um, where I am now. My husband is actually working there at Good Shepherd Community Church in Boring, Oregon. Um, and that's just been a great time of um, getting mentors and being a mentor and um, just seeing the church be mobilized in, in ministry and just exposing me to healthy leadership. And um, they do a really good job of uh, taking turns being leaders there and just sharing that load. And so, yeah, it's just been a rich, rich journey. So you were very young when you accepted Christ is what you're saying. Well, I was 12 and I was watching of all things, you know, Christian television and my mom would have that on. And it was really from someone just giving, sharing their testimony, just saying that okay. God loves us and we can have access to the father through Jesus. And I had, I had not, maybe I'd heard that, but I, they sure. broke it down in a way that made it so accessible like any well, gospel which we often the gospel. We yeah. that. we don't hear it simply stated but right. if i remember correctly though you did not enter into the healthcare profession mental health care profession first you actually worked for a while as a tv producer right yeah so i came to christ through tele <laughs> television through yes through the message and i just go i go i sat back and i go wow television is such a powerful yeah. tool mm -hmm. to communicate. Mm -hmm. And so from there, I worked uh, at Oregon Public Broadcasting for a while. I did a little 
uh, work with them. Um, we, tra we traveled, we're doing some, uh, it was called Time Team America, and we were trying to uncover historical archaeological discoveries. And I was actually traveling with some archaeologists that had had friends that had studied the Dead Sea Scrolls. And at that time, in my early 20s, I was kind of like, wow, I know a lot about, I feel like I know a good amount about God and Jesus, but I don't know much about historical Jesus. And that just really excited me that there was people that maybe they didn't even believe in God, but they're like, wow, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls and those manuscripts say the same things they do today. And there's so much, you know, oh, has scripture been changed and kind of discrediting? I'm like, wow, it's neat that there's this whole world of, you know, science, if you will, that we can really study the artifacts and get more um, questions answered in this context of like, who is historical yeah. Jesus? And so from there, I went to um, Multnomah Bible and just took okay. some graduate credits. And then um, of all things, I went line dancing and <laughs> I wanted to come home early. And the, the girl that brought me home early from line dancing, she had gone to Western Seminary. And it was at that time, honestly, it was while traveling as a as a you know production assistant that my life really became unraveled. I was disconnected from God from uh, God's people. And I began to make some choices in my early twenties that I, I didn't agree with. And I, it was hard to sit with myself with some of those choices. And I just saw that, wow, my heart was to go into production so that I could honor God and I could be used for whatever means he had for me. And I really kind of got caught up in um, just living away from him. And so I go, you know what? I need to switch some things around. And, um, and part of it was, yeah, going to seminary. <laughs> Maybe okay. that was extreme, but I think that's what no, I, but I, but what I love about your story is it models too how sometimes there's this pressure for people between the ages of 16 and 22 to know exactly what they want to be and do. And right. God doesn't always necessarily lead us that way. Right. One door leads to another. But let's jump yeah. in, um, Shannon, because um, I know you just have some gold to share with us for sure. Yeah. But even before COVID, right, yes. we saw an increase in mental health crisis impacting hospitals, university mm -hmm. schools. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about this increase. And is there anything new that you're seeing uh, about that. So just if you could talk about that for just a minute, I, I just want you to touch on that before I talk to ask you the next question, because are we just making this up? Is there an increase? Yes. Well, okay. And this kind of, this relates to your question and kind of to my own journey. Um, so there's this model that I love using and it comes from Michael Dye and he wrote this book called the Genesis process and he's worked what's a lot his, with what's his name Michael what Michael Dye it's um, D-Y-E is his last name and he okay. he wrote a book called the Genesis process and I love his research and kind of the way he presents things because it, it comes from a kind of an addiction background but the truth is and I'm hearing pastors say this more and more we all have hurts habits and hang-ups yeah, when we are not in our um, best state. <laughs> we can go to other things to comfort and soothe us that maybe will relieve us for the moment, but kind of leave us with habits mm -hmm. that aren't truly getting to the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. And so what he, I just want to throw this out here, what he, his definition of a healthy person is no current secrets working to resolve problems 
identifying fears and feelings, keeping commitments to meetings, prayer, family, church, people, goals, and self, being open and honest, making eye contact, increasing in relationship with God and others, and true accountability. So that's the healthy person. Yes, that's the healthy person. And again, what I love about his model, he's saying we all can get off of this place and we can get into, he calls it the faster scale. So forgetting our priorities is the first step of getting away from ourselves, away from ourselves, away from God, away from others. We're moving into isolation. And from there, he's saying that we can quickly then move into anxiety and then speeding up and getting ticked off and going into depression. And then going into a state of exhaustion, which is really dangerous because now we're isolated, we're exhausted, we're not really dealing with what's going on in our life, we're using maybe distractions, and then we're getting into relapse. And I know relapse is considered a word for drinking, right? Yeah, but really for all of us, a relapse is returning to the place we swore we would never go again, Mm. coping with life on our terms you sitting in the driver's seat instead of God. So this could be a mom yelling at her kids, screaming. This could be somebody looking at porn again. This could be a girl calling up that guy she knows is really not going to be her husband, but emotionally fills that place for her. It could be shopping. Really, it could be anything, right? So I think what is happening, what I see a lot, even before COVID, we're given so many options to entertain ourselves to distract ourselves apart from God, apart from people, even apart from our spouse, right? I have a choice in the evening. Do I connect with Z? Do I talk to him? Do I check in on his day? Do we actually ever pray for each other? Or do we both kind of just go on our phones and say, woohoo, I get to research whatever I want to research or look at whatever I'm interested or watch whatever video entertains me. So I think even Even before COVID, with all the options and entertainment that we have, I think, sadly, myself included, um, we're choosing more of the false. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, Shannon. Um, We are two married women talking. Um, I've had to learn to put some some new rules in place for my evenings. Right. To connect well with my with my relationship with with god have you and do you and z have rules not rules that sounds legalistic but guidelines (laughs) yes well actually really you know i'm a counselor over preparer at times and so when we first got married we we went through our you know we had mentors from our church but we also went through a thing early on in our marriage called marriage team it's a resource in vancouver it's awesome i highly recommend it yeah 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 i think i've heard of it Yes. It's, it's awesome. But anyway, in there, it was, it was brilliant, um, on their part. So what you do is you come up with code words that your partner allows you to say. So you, you decide on these code words ahead of time for these trouble spots. And so I was reflecting back on our notes, um, the other day. And one of our problems was in the evening feeling like the work just wasn't getting put away. And so my husband gave me permission to say all work and no play. And that's just a kind and kind of reminder of, hey, we need time together. And so I did say that again the other day. Um, And it's it's not even like that we're always working. I think it's just like 
you know, we're, we're right now we're kind of remodeling um, a little place and we're, we're going to be moving into. And so it's fun to look at floors. It's fun to look at windows. And, and I like that too, but kind of just saying, Hey, we need time to guard even against that, even against. But, go, the but going back to what you said, because of isolation, it's yeah. not that those, all of those things are like um, sinful, right? It's just that, you know, where it's leading, you know, where you're going back to. Yes. Okay. Yes. Good. And when we stop and we do have, um, I would say my God time looks different now. It's not so much in the evening as it is. Um, I try to do morning time just cause that works better for me. But honestly, I'm trying to get my clients even to use you version to listen to, um, Bible like, while driving. Yeah. I I'm just in that season of having littles <laughs> and needing to get have it. You heard of the app called dwell. I I've heard of that one and I've used abide. I really like abide. Yeah. And I love the technology tools, but I'm a big book person. So I always encourage people have the book, get the paper depth, never get rid of your paper book (laughs) Um, because I I think that's my regular Bible. (laughs) Right. Yes. That's something I miss. I think there's a richness in sitting and reading through um, like a whole book. If you have time, there's just the, getting all that context. I tell people it's better than a soap opera going through the old Testament and seeing how True. things just unravel. It's, it's beautiful. So yes, I'm getting in my, um, my God time. Also, we'll talk about that part later, yeah. but, um, but, but I, I'm wanting to, so you do see an increase though of mental health instability because of this increase also of there's so many things we could set our minds on. Yes. So many things we can do. So what role do you see? We, we, this is like a hard question. So I may have to rephrase it, Shannon, yeah. but what role do you see the Holy spirit playing when a person of faith, who yeah. you know, no matter where they are on the scale of faith, right? Yeah whether they're, they've activated it or whether they just say, I'm a Christian or whether sure. they're having a deep walk with Jesus. Um, what role do you see the Holy Spirit playing when someone is struggling or thinking um, my faith is weak um, or my identity, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I must not be spiritual. Talk yeah. a little bit about how in your practice you see the role of the Holy Spirit in this. Right. I think, I think the spirit draws us, uh, brings us to truth. I think the spirit reminds us of, of scripture. And so there was a, a quote I, I looked up and it says, it's from Lisa Turkers and it says, feelings are indicators, not dictators. They can indicate where your heart is in the moment, but that doesn't mean they have the right to dictate your behavior and boss you around. Hmm. Um, and so I think, um, I see the spirit, um, activated, especially when people are doubting so much, I see the spirit and maybe drawing them to a person of encouragement, a person of safety. And I've, I've loved reading your book and what you've written so far and, and how you, you give us, um, a sneak peek at what are those internal dialogues and those conversations and I know that was key for me in my counseling journey of actually receiving counseling about it being able to share the doubts. And hey, let's talk about that for just a minute. Yeah. So you just said during your counseling journey, mm-hmm. we're talking, and you mentioned the, the main character in the parable who hears yeah. different voices, hears doubts, yes. yes, hears your faith is not strong. Right. Or, okay. So talk about your, go back 
what was that journey like? Yeah. Um, I think when we are apart from God or making choices that go against what we know is best for us, we are opening ourselves to having depression and having it. So, so wait though, I, I can hear like my, my listeners saying, but wait, are you saying that if I make certain choices, I could, that could make me feel distant from God? Yes. I'm not saying, I don't want to say that all depression is because of choices that I want to be very clear on that because there are some physiological components where people literally aren't getting the dopamine that God has designed their body to get. Um, And so I never want to shame anybody if they, if they, they are on medication. Um, But I do want to challenge because I heard this a a while ago um, from a, a doctor that knew more than me. And he said, a lot of times there's a small amount of people that physiologically do not get that regular dopamine hit that we should get when we exercise, when we hear a good song, when we hold, hug somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was saying the majority of us are it's situational depression. And so a lot of my clients that are coming in, I'd say some of them, the, the ones that know that there's a physiological issue, yes. <laughs> luckily, a lot of them have already gone to the doctor and have sought that help just because it's been pretty evident. But a lot of times, honestly, the counseling room has turned into, uh, you know, all the love one another commandments, like confess your sins to one another, um, bear your burdens with one another, all those things. I feel like a lot of times, sometimes the counseling room and I'm not saying this is bad, but can turn into the confess your sins to one another place. Which is so interesting because everything you're saying right now requires us to not be in isolation. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. And yet, on the other hand, like we talked about, we need that time alone with God. Mm-hmm. So, but can I'm wondering if you could open the door a little bit more about when the, when you hear when those voices that we hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All, how did you ever come yeah. to that? So I want to be clear <laughs> that the Satan is the prince and the power of the air. Okay. Absolutely. So we look around, we see it. We see the injustice. We see the despair. Okay. Satan will, I believe he does speak to people. And I, I think he speaks in their lowest moment. And I think it's a, it's a, a voice where they're like, I don't know where that came from. Was that my thought? Where's that coming from? That just says, end it all, kill yourself. Mm-hmm. There's no hope. It's never going to change. Um, and I definitely feel like I've had that in my life. And I think that's why God knew I needed to be at the boring Baptist church and just sit and I wasn't doing the fun slip and slide youth things, which I totally appreciate. I think there should be a balance. Like the youth should be getting to slip and slide. Okay. They should be getting to have a foam party or whatever you want to do, but they also need to be exposed to the truth of God's word and be fluent in his promises, his hope of eternity, um, his challenge that we are called to be a living sacrifice and that (laughs) we are not our own anymore once we accept Christ, but we are going to be the most free and experience the most love and joy and peace when we do learn to trust him and surrender. And that's a process. That's a slow process. But I I do believe I was able to, when the deep evil thoughts came, I think I did know that those were not of God because I had spent enough time with God to know his voice and that his voice was loving. But I think my own judgment and criticism of myself for the ways that I had hurt people, 
I think that voice was almost harder to wrestle with because I'm like, wait, I, I, I really struggled with that whole idea of you're supposed to be holy. And, um, when I was younger, I just knew I wasn't holy. So I was like, I'm supposed to be holy as God's holy. I'm not holy. I better keep that to myself. I better not share about that. Cause how can I be loved if I'm not and not holy? And people did show me that, but I think I needed counseling at that time to unpack all those pieces and to be held in love, unconditional love, um, and challenged mm-hmm. by what I was doing to contribute to my problems. If that and, I, and I really like what you just said. And I think it's so important for all of us to remember, and we learn this in communications, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That the very first part of communication, God is the ultimate yeah. greatest yeah. communicator the and he created yeah. one word, right? But yeah. then we have the intrapersonal communication, yeah. the voice yeah. that I'm saying to self, right? Yes, exactly. And, that, and so that you distinguished that between the interpersonal, right, communication yes. that involves our close people, but also the voice of the enemy. Yes. Right? And so you just yeah. distinguished between among those. I don't know if it's a between, but what I think is so important to to for that what you're saying is. You didn't stop there. Yeah. I, I need to do next. Right. I needed to learn that my voice, and I mean, some people call this like, like the internal parent or the voice of grace or, you know, the voice of the Holy Spirit. I needed to learn how do I be a friend to myself? Mm. So when I mess up, do I say, cut me down, I'm done with. Or do I say, man, I messed up. I need to acknowledge that. I needed, sometimes that involves it, obviously acknowledging that to God, mm-hmm. to myself, to mm-hmm. the other person, not always, but sometimes going to that other person. And um, I needed to learn how to not just be stuck and condemned with my own critic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I needed to also look at the factors, not to excuse my behavior, but I needed to look at the factors that contributed to me choosing a counterfeit love so that I could allow grace for myself to say, you know what? I did choose other things that were counterfeits and I can kind of see how my life became the perfect storm and made it easier to choose those things. In that moment though, I still had the power because I had Christ in me not to, to go down that route, but it allowed that grace to say, oh, I can see how I got there. And I think that's what counseling can do for a lot of people. It can help them say, okay, you got there, you know, that was wrong to get there, but how did you get there? Let's look at that and not to excuse it, but to understand the way that God has created us all to have needs, legitimate needs. And when those aren't met, our human response is to find, find it. And I love that Shannon, just last week on a radio program, the, the producer said, so what do you think that that uh, she said, what does a woman need to do? And I said, she needs to name her needs. Yeah, yeah. And so you just said that we we think sometimes we want someone else to name them. Yeah. Well, you're right, you named them, but let's, but so in my parable, yeah. um, the main character ends up with a wise person. Yes. A spiritual person, but you know, translating that to your yes. world, <laughs> it's a counselor, right? Sure. It's, a, it's that person who can speak truth and um so practically speaking i guess i want i want you to you know speak from your experiences if there's a parent listening or someone in you know their teens or 20s listening or even a grandparent or someone who themselves needs it but they're in the throes of 
raising a family and they're trying to do their best for their children's mental and emotional and spiritual health, um, what is something that you would say to them? What's some, what's some tried and true practices that you would say, um, knowing that we have these resources, that, yeah. we're, that we're, we've we're got all these distractions. <laughs> I mean, this is a tough time to raise a family, although, you know, what would you say? What would your, well, some, your advice? Yeah, something that's coming to my mind, obviously, is modeling. We are our children's first glimpse of what what God is like, whether we like that or not, we need his help because that is, that's heavy to, to swallow that, to know that reality. Um, and so knowing that what we're doing, what we're saying, how we're living our life, obviously our kids are getting a front row seat at that. And so we can let them in and share our journey with God and things that we're struggling with. It's okay to share, you know, I'm sad. I had hoped this situation would work out different and and it didn't. And I'm trying, I'm trusting God with that, or I'm asking God to help me to trust him with that. Um, so I would say letting your kids in on knowing parts of your story that have been hard, that helps them to have a faith that says, okay, be, following Christ doesn't always mean I'm going to feel great. <laughs> there still is challenge and struggle, mm -hmm. but right. God is with us in that we are never truly alone in that that's the key he walks with yes, us through the valley of the shadow of death yes. he doesn't take us out i wish so many times he would just pick us up like a claw machine and take <laughs> out. he does it he yeah. and that builds our our faith so i would say letting your kids know about struggles um also times when god came through that's been fun our kids are finally getting our oldest is like four almost five and we're getting i mean i'm telling him the story of when i was driving too fast um down the road with my friend jessica and i was 16 and she said i think you should slow down and i said i literally said this pam i know these roads like the back of my hand oh before you know it i was 316 my dad's old station wagon around the river we were literally river cliff river cliff and the whole time i was saying jesus please save us jesus please save us jesus please save us and he did he put us right next to the cliff but i'm letting kids know like i was prideful i was just yeah speeding That's good. And, yeah and but letting them know i literally cried cried out to jesus um, cause my son's been talking about death lately and how does that work? And he doesn't want to die too soon. And right, I'm right. we never know when we're going to die, when God's going to take us. But, but, but that was in, in a time where I felt like God intervened because it wasn't my time yet to go. And mm -hmm. so, um, that was scary, but letting, letting kids in on our journey. Another thing I would say is, and in again, involving scripture is, um, it's simple, but it's hard. It's just opening up the book with the kids, exposing them to scripture. And um, I like that song, the 1960, from the 1961, it was written that mama said there'd be days like this. <laughs> and so preparing our kids, what what is gonna be hard in life? What was hard for the disciples? How did they finish their race? What persecution did they face? Um, my well, son I'm gonna throw you a zinger. Yeah. I think you can handle it. Mm -hmm. What do you do when your adult children are like, mom and dad, I don't believe what you believe anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And how do, how, what practical advice as a counselor, I'm putting you yeah. on the spot on that one. What would you yeah. say to those parents? Yeah, I would say that 
there's room for conversation there and to be a good listener. So they're saying they don't believe anymore. That's not the time to hit them on the head with the Bible <laughs> because hopefully by that point, they already know they you've given them the truth, right? And so hopefully by that point, they've experienced God's word. They know what's in it. And they're saying they don't believe anymore. I would say, listen, why? Why don't they believe anymore? And if there's anything you've done, um, I'm trying to talk to parents a lot about this because we are losing some young people because of the way the culture is talking so different than what scripture is saying. And I think sometimes as parents, we can get fearful and say, don't do this. This is wrong. And kind of almost despise people that are not following scripture instead of loving them and having godly sorrow if we're believing that god's word is the best for us and we want others to be set free and living in true love and true freedom mm -hmm. we should have godly sorrow for those that are rejecting and turning away from from him mm -hmm. instead of condemnation or harsh judgment mm -hmm. and so i think sometimes <laughs> parents are we can do things that are um, making the gospel not feel um attractive and so i i think too if there's things parents have done where they haven't modeled christ where they're open to hearing how they've hurt um their teen or young adult you know to be open to again going back to that if we're our children's first window into who god is being honest about our, our shortcomings, but I would say, allow them to go on that journey. Trust. Don't you don't get caught into fear and thinking you have to now resave them or, you know, change them. You keep modeling your faith. You keep praying, you keep praying for them. And again, you can admonish them. You can say, well, I'm, I'm concerned because blah, 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 but letting that go after that and just loving them unconditionally, I think um, can go it's a, a long painful way. process for many. It is painful. I, I have a friend kind of going through some of that, you know, I've had and have, have had other friends go through that. And I think they need to trust that God loves their child more than even they do. And just pray for the right people to cross their path. Maybe yeah, you offer amen, counseling. Right? There's someone and, that and I love the saying that one of my friends says is that God's people are everywhere. Yeah. God's yeah. people are everywhere and yeah. we just have no idea. So hey, let me hear something of hope. Have you seen, because I know you work with younger people in yeah. church, have you seen where uh, they, maybe they've gone more progressive route in the faith, but then have come back to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus? Have you seen that? Oh yeah. And I would say I was one of those. Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. Right. A, a pastor Ron Frost and he would tell us, um, God's rules are guardrails that keep us on the road. And, mm. um, sometimes we do, we have a season of four by fouring and saying, you know what, I don't want those guardrails and I'm going to, I'm going to go have fun. And we are taught that, um, you know, sin is fun for a season. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I definitely did that. And I came back saying, ouch, ouch, ouch. Okay, I get it. God is good. He's my father. And he really does want what's best for me. He's not trying to be a joy kill. He and, you know, he thought of a lot of these things that we use out of context to have pleasure with. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I, I would say allowing, again, allowing the process, your kids are going to be watching you still. Are you going to go into fear mode where you try to control and fix and every conversation you have with them is going to remind them of that truth and you're going to, you know. That's good. I think that's wise right there. So before we um, end, I want to go back a little bit to, I, I, I want to us to kind of paint a picture mm-hmm. of encouragement and yeah. the voice of love, okay? Because yeah. if you remember in my parable, my main character believes he's lost his faith and then he meets with this wise person and he opens up to her. But um, the truth of the matter is, if as we, as we continue down the path, my readers are going to hear that, that his wife doesn't choose to open herself back up to faith, mm-hmm. but he does. Um, so... I love that you wrote a realistic... <laughs> Again, talk about comparing well, for realities. Of- yeah, it's just reality right now. Although I really, truly, be- this is my my go-to verse whenever I'm praying with someone or talking with someone about people we love who have, you know, think they've walked from their faith. This is yeah. what the Lord Jesus says, that, that God draws all men and women to himself. Mm-hmm. And that is the truth. I mean, he, he is, the, it's not through the Holy Spirit, yes. but what's our role, right? What's our part? Yeah. So- what I want to do is paint a picture of encouragement. Um, so you've already kind of talked about the voices you heard from the enemy, right? Yeah. So now, okay, how do we hear the voice of God? How do we hear, what are the, what does God's voice sound like? What do, what does, what do the voice of God, what does the voice of God say? Mm-hmm. What kind of, what kind well, of encouragement? Well, I think that when we go back to Genesis, right, and Adam and Eve had sinned against God, he was calling them out and giving them a chance to come clean with, with what had happened. So I think the, I think the voice of God um, invites us to call sin, sin. I think it invites us to um, reality. What have we done? what has just clearly been against him against others so i think i think the voice of god would call us to to not play games to not um you know put lipstick on a pig if you will <laughs> but he can handle us just being real he saw it he knows it so i think the voice of god calls us to name what is true um to confess to repent um thank you for I, saying this because i'm going to tell you why yeah, yeah my my uh, students tell me that they get tired of hearing all the time god loves you yeah not that that's not a true truism but they want more yeah they want the truth and you just said yes god loves you but he he's a holy god and he needs you to he wants you to confess yes that's how we're restored if, if there's something between if i did something to you parent if, if the last time i saw you i threw wine on your dress <laughs> on purpose and I never acknowledged it and I'm just like hey, do that. sandwich yeah. right it's like what that's no we need to acknowledge to, so we can be reconciled back together so I think the voice of God would would say that I also think it's um his voice is 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 gentle is kind mm-hmm. but can be challenging so that the truth and love um and then also I think his voice models for us again, going back to how do, how can we be a friend to ourselves? So when we make a mistake, how can we encourage that voice of truth for our own life, but also that, that voice of grace, like I messed up again, that's true, 
Um, but I don't have to say I'm a failure. I'm never going to have victory over this. Mm. I can because say that would not be from the Holy Spirit. Right, right. Mm. So it's productive. So what I try to say mm. is productive. So mm. man, I messed up again. Okay, I'm going to call my mentor, Elizabeth. I'm going to tell her, I'm going to ask for a prayer mm. over this. I'm going to have more accountability. Mm. So um, we're, we're, we're waging war on those sins that do hang us up, that do discourage us. But we're saying, this is the verse I wanted to share is first yeah. John three, one. And it says, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Mm. And I love that this verse says, okay, we're child of God. If we've accepted Christ, we are his child. We've confessed our sins. We're his. And I love that it says, and that is what we are. Sometimes we need um, God to declare who we are, even if we don't believe it, mm -hmm. um, that he, that we are his kid. And so as his kid, guess what? We don't do it perfect, but we have a loving father. We get to always come back to and confess and talk to about the struggles and the problems. And we get to try again with the support of others. And so I would say, the goal for a lot of my Christian clients is that yes, that they would know God loves them, that they would know their truest identity is being a child of God. And that means that they will mess up, <laughs> but they are not um, rejected from him. Yes. Amen. And isn't it interesting, Shannon, that the very place that we started this conversation was uh, I asked you what's creating so much mental upheaval and you said isolation yeah. and when we're in isolation we we tend to bow down to other gods yes and now we're saying that our identity is yeah. in that one-on-one -on -one with god so yeah. when you are that that quiet place mm -hmm. that's where that stamp of identity comes from right we need to make sure that we're hearing we are beloved by him and it's that fine line. It's like this hypersensitive place where we could get, get right over to the wrong voices. Yes. So that is beautiful. Is there anything else you want to add to what God's voice says to us um, before we pray? Well, I just want to encourage people that um, we, when we do have the Holy Spirit in us, um, mm. I believe. Um, to help us and remind each other of scriptures. And so just kind of remembering that, that we get to be that voice of love, maybe for someone else's um, kid who has walked away. Mm -hmm. um, just that we encourage that the spirit can use you to be his voice of love um, for others. So I just kind of want I think that's beautiful. Yeah, that's great. Well, Shannon, thank you so much. Before we go though, um, can I pray? please. <laughs> and um, then we'll, we'll go from there. Holy Spirit, we've been talking about you. You are so welcome into this uh, podcast as it goes throughout to, for listeners. And we ask that you would turn the volume up of your voice in all of our lives. I pray for Shannon today. I thank you for her, her vocation as a counselor and minister to those who are being vulnerable with her about their mental health. And we ask for you, Prince of Peace, to reign in all of her uh, capacities today and as she goes forth into this next week. And Lord God, we pray and ask that the, your voice would rise up 
and be louder than any other voice that anyone hears this week. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you have already redeemed that which was lost and that which is um, seeking you. And we just ask that you would open our eyes to the revelation to see what is happening in the spiritual realm. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pam. Shannon, it's great to be with you and to see you. And I can't wait to have you back another time. Thank you.